Uh, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastor elders here. Uh, so glad you're with us. If you're visiting especially, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting online, uh, we, uh, we wish you were here, but it's as though you're here with us. And so uh, glad you are joining us as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am I'm not much of a visual uh, thinker. Some people are visual thinkers. They think in pictures, they dream in colors and mosaics and the, the like. I, I don't. I think in like facts and figures, and uh, I think in lists. I'm a list and detail guy. In fact, uh, I, I, uh, heading into camp, especially middle school camp, as a director, there are a thousand things that need to take place, and I go to bed, and my checklist it's just there, like, no, I, and I did all the 150 of those things. Well, need to go over it again, and again, and again. And so sometimes I have a hard time shutting my brain off. Actually, my brain is kind of just doesn't cooperate. Often when I'm trying to think of things, I'm very good at thinking of nothing. When I'm trying to think of nothing, I'm very good at thinking of a thousand things. And so like, I need things to quiet my mind and my head, especially at night. And so, uh, you know, I like have white noise or actually not totally white noise. Josh Gates, anybody watch Josh Gates? Like Destination Truth Expedition Unknown. He's one of my favorites. Some about that guy's voice, like put it on real quiet in the background. It's like, Josh is going to speak me to sleep now. Thank you, Josh. Um, but uh, but in, in order to shut my brain off to, in the end of the evening, uh, watching a show, and there's a show I'm watching right now called Suits, and it's been on, I think it's already over, and uh, some of you maybe watch this, it's about uh, a, a number of lawyers, one of which uh, got caught cheating in college, so he's like kicked out of college, but he has a photographic memory, and, and so uh, he still passed the bar and has kind of weaseled his way into a law firm, and uh, and I got to tell you, I love it. I love that show because it is about these people and they are shrewd and they are cunning and they're meticulous about the law and they find ways of getting out of circumstances, often for their clients, uh, sometimes though for their own benefit. And it's just a show that I can turn my brain off, stop the list from running and, uh, and be uh, kind of engulfed in a world that's so very separate and otherworldly than my own. You know, some people watch like relationship dramas and those kinds of things. I'm like, I don't want to deal with real life stuff. I got that all week. I need to deal with other stuff that can distract me from the worries of my own life. And this show suits uh, is just a fun one for me to watch. And I tell you what, as I was reading this week's verse, and it's a doozy, um, I kept thinking of suits. And so uh, let's jump in together because why not? Luke chapter 16 is where we're at, and uh, we've started the second week into our uh, next portion of Luke, a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. I'll let you turn there or scroll there in your phone, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, 
how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take, um, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest with very little is dishonest with much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, reading through that this week, this is a difficult verse. It really is. Every time I get to this verse, I'm going like, okay, Jesus, what are you talking about? How am I supposed to wrap my head around this? In fact, I'm preparing reading on Monday, and our elders meeting is Tuesday morning, and I sent out a text. Hey, you guys, I need you to read Luke 16, and we're going to talk about it in the morning. Like, I need you to bring, I need your wisdom. I need to see what you see in these verses. And I'm reading over them and over them, trying to wrap my head around not only the story itself, but what Jesus intends to teach his disciples in this moment. And, and I come across one of three things that is happening. We're not totally sure. It's a parable, first of all. But there's a good chance that the original audience would have better understood firsthand the meeting because it was culturally more relevant for them. And we are separated by, first of all, being a Western culture. Uh, and, and largely, we're, we're a bunch of white folk in Western culture reading a book written by and for minorities in the Middle West with an Eastern mindset. And so trying to wrap our heads around what this means, uh, they may May have had a better sense. Here's a couple of possibilities of what happens in the story itself. It could be that the manager settled out of an initial illegal use of interest. You see, when in, in their culture, they were not supposed to charge interest to their brothers and sisters. And God talks about this in the Old Testament. So it's possible that he forgave the interest that the owner, the rich man, wanted to charge them. And so this wouldn't have been good for, for the rich man, who was now losing some of the interest on these debts that were owed him. But it would have been legal. So it would have been a shrewd move for the manager to forgive their interest and just collect what the initial debt was. It could be that he forgave and paid the interest out of his own pocket. If he was mismanaging the owner's money, probably some of that money had been mismanaged into his own pocket, right? So maybe he forgave the debt towards those debtors and he paid the interest out of his own pocket, which would have gone right with the rich owner. But it also would have made all those people who were forgiven part of the debt uh, favorably oriented towards him. Or it could be just as it kind of sounds, and this is the more likely, that he just rewrote the books. 
He cooked the books a little bit and said, all right, well, you used to owe 100, now you owe 50. You used to owe 100 and wheat, now you owe 80. Just write it in and we'll call it good. Knowing that he would gain favor uh, with these debtors, these people out in the community. And what was the owner, the rich man, going to do? He'd already fired him and he just had to give in an accounting. And so maybe it didn't matter. Any which way, and I don't think it really matters how this took place, but why it took place, this shrewd, cunning manager manipulating things meticulously and exactingly so that others would look favorably upon him so that when he's kicked out of his current job, he would have people that he could turn to. Hey, remember when I did this for you? Remember when I did that? He'd be calling in a chit, right? This, they do that all the time in suits. He's like, you owe me a favor and you know it. And so maybe this is what is taking place. And I think, again, these are difficult verses, and we often look at the Bible as this moral account. It's not always that, especially in the Old Testament. It's not always a morality lesson, but it's a lesson. It's a story of real people and the things that real people did and and helping us to understand God and his kingdom in light of the real world that we find ourselves in. But it's in verse 8 that it gets really sticky. Let's look at that again. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the sons of light. And so I look at this, I go, really? He commended him? Like, like he gave him props. And maybe it's just as a shrewd businessman, as a rich man, he understood what he had done and was like, well, I got to tell you, that, that was impressive. You know, even if it cost him hundreds or thousands of dollars in that time, uh, he, was, he couldn't help but recognize uh, the stance that this manager had put himself in. So I just got to hand it to you. I got to hand it to you. You kind of you handed it to me. But I'm impressed by this. And then he goes on with this other statement, for people of the world are shrewd when it comes to the rest of the world. And don't we know this to be true? They're cunning they are shrewd. They are manipulative. And I think about this, that people know how to get what they want out of other people when dealing in the world. And the sons of light, he's saying, those who have understood and have had enlightened their minds to the kingdom of God and are understanding in this teaching who Jesus is, the son of God come, the Messiah, the awaited one, they sometimes are a little too innocent and naive, and he puts this forward for them to think about. Then in verse 9, he continues, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That's easy enough to understand, right? Like, what? 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 Jesus, what are you trying to tell? What are you telling us to do? What am I supposed to do with this story? Am I supposed to be the, the rich guy? Am I supposed to be the shrewd manager? Am I supp- what am I supposed to do here? So, and he says this thing about be like that. You know, make friends yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Okay. Like, I feel like that's not what Jesus has been saying for the past 15 chapters. But I'm reading these verses and trying to struggle with it. And I guess let us just sit in this moment for a second. It's difficult teaching. I don't totally understand it. Let's let it sink in and and just say, okay, the Bible's tough sometimes. 
But, but maybe let's unpack a little bit of what this means in, in reading a couple of different people and, and listening to my elders and, and understanding how they read the scriptures and, and praying through this. I, I go, okay, I, I have a, I, a thought. Anyway, that's what you get. It's going to be in facts and figures and charts and lists, not in pictures. Sorry, that's not how I think. But this kingdom thinking is what he's been talking about in this whole section. Luke continually repeats this theme of going from the temporal, the temporary, the earthly, and thinking about eternal things, things that will last forever. So with that in mind, kingdom thinking, uh, he may be saying that we can use the world's resources for kingdom purposes. Again, moving from the temporal to the eternal. See, the world is shrewd with the world. Think about this. Again, I see that all over in the show Suits. Maybe you have coworkers that you have been either currently or in the past who would maneuver their way and get in uh, with the manager just the right way, and they would put themselves in a place of power and of influence. They were shrewd because the world is shrewd with the world. Maybe you've seen this um, at HOA meetings, right? Homeowners Association. They're the worst. Those people, did you see what she did? Did you see what she said? Right? Shrewd. Man, they're right. That is what the bylaws say. Shrewd managers, banks. I tell you, in my early days, my younger days, getting so angry at U.S. Bank. I wrote three checks, and they took out the big one first and then bounced my other two. Here you go, 37.50, 37.50. If you know, you know. Right? They're shrewd. They're cunning. And so he's saying the world nails it with the rest of the world. They have no problem with this, and yet we as sons of light are not shrewd like that. Now, sons of daughters, he says, I want you to think of this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You see, we say, we say that about people. There's, man, that was sly. He's a sly snake. Slippery, right? Slithery, maneuvers around. You can't even see him. Camouflage. But you know what? A snake's being a snake. Now, let's talk about actual snakes, not those people for a second. This is what they were created for. They were created to blend in. They were created to sneak around quietly in order to survive. A snake, an actual snake, is doing what it was created to do. And so this is not necessarily an evil thing. Now, when you apply it to people, possibly it is. But he's saying, sons and daughters of light, you need to be shrewd but with character. Shrewd as a serpent. Another word that used translate there is wise, wary, cunning, cunning as a serpent, and yet contain and remain with your own character, being innocent as doves. See, when you're shrewd, as the world is shrewd, you have to first of all remember who you are, and then second, remember whose you are. Because we're not our own. Often we can be shrewd just like the world when we forget ourselves, when we forget that we are sons and daughters of light. And we can fall right back in with the world in that kind of thinking that is about us and still about the temporal. But when we remember whose we are, then we can keep our minds focused on the eternal. And we've been given many tools to do this. 
See, we've been entrusted as stewards of a number of temporal things. We've looked at this especially recently as we've talked about our five-year fruit, the things that we would like this body of believers uh, in the real world to look like five years down the line, and we talk about our time, our treasures, and our talent. Each of those are very temporal in the way that it has been entrusted to us. We have 1,440 minutes in a day, 10,080 minutes in a week, and how are we going to use that time? You see, eternity is, is a little bit longer than that, but you've been entrusted with these minutes in a day, or 10,080 in a week, and yeah, we got to work, we have to sleep, we have to, to eat and, and take care of our families, but in the rest, or even in that, how do you use your time? Your minutes at work, yeah, you have to be at work, but that doesn't mean that you can't be focused on eternal things while you're at work. How do you uh, use the minutes that have been entrusted to you, not for the temporal, but for the eternal, our treasures? We've been given money. Maybe you get a salary. You've been given uh, things, items. So whether that's a home or an RV or toys uh, of, of varying sizes, you know what I'm talking about. We have these things, and how do we use these treasures for eternal thing? You see, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, it says. that finances aren't a problem for him, and he's going to entrust you with what you can be faithful with. And maybe, just maybe, if you're faithful in what you've been entrusted with, with a little, that he will increase that as well and entrust you with more. How do you leverage your treasures for eternal matters and then our talents? You, some of us have just natural talents or talents that have been developed. As you become a believer in Christ, you're also given supernatural giftings. And, and these are things that he intends for you to use for the eternal. And, and sometimes we can think of somebody that has a musical ability or ability to work with kids. But I tell you, many of you have talents in the way of carpentry. Many of you have talents in the way of listening and discerning what people mean, or, or maybe just have a hearing ear and you have been given a gift. I haven't been given that gift of just listening, so I'm glad you were. Some of us are given the gift of invention or innovation. Some of you uh, are given a business-minded gift. Some of you have the gift of making money, for real, You've been gifted with that ability, and how are you going to use those gifts, those talents, for the kingdom? You see, we need to use our time, our treasures, and our talents for kingdom things, and not simply out of the excess, but to the point that it costs us. That's what our goal is here, that you would use your time, talents, and treasure to the point that it costs you something. Not extra dollars that you have at the end of your bills and your play, but dollars that make me cost you some of the things that you would do for yourself. Not minutes that are left over at the end of your work day or week, but minutes that dig in to the things that you might otherwise choose for yourself. You see, how are you leveraging these things for the kingdom? How are you leveraging your time for the kingdom? How are you leveraging your talents for the kingdom? How are you leveraging your treasures for the kingdom? 
Brian uh, Kuntz is one of our elders. He's going to sh- come up and, and share a little bit of his experience in this area. We were talking on a round trip up and back to Portland. Uh, actually, at Elders Meeting, we were talking a little bit about this, and uh, I thought it was just such a perfect picture. So, Brian, oh, maybe there's a microphone back here. Or maybe, can we get a mic? Do you want to just lean in real close yeah, like this? I could just... No, probably not. <laughs> Yeah, Robert's going to bring you a mic. My fault. I should have told you. So, yeah, thinking about uh, this passage and when we were talking last week, uh, Aaron and I, about uh, time, treasures, and talents, in this... uh, in this framework might seem a little odd to some of you just because of where we live geographically, but I grew up, uh, well, I grew up in Springfield, so just over the hill, for those that don't know, but most people know where Springfield is. But my dad was really, uh, he was an avid scuba diver. And so we were over here a lot, up and down the coast, up to all over to do this back in the 70s and into the 80s. And so I, uh, you know, had this love for the ocean, and I started surfing at a really young age. And so this is the part that may seem foreign to a lot of you. Uh, And I became kind of a, I guess, for lack of a better word, an avid surfer. And if you aren't around surfing culture, if we were in Hawaii or something, this would, like, you maybe relate a little more without the explanation, but I'll give the explanation because we're in Oregon, and nobody surfs in Oregon. We all know that. Um, But the idea that um, surfing is not, for a lot of people that surf, it's not just, and this is hard to understand, it's not like a pastime or something that you do. It becomes encompassing of your life. You're always trying to get waves. You travel the world to get waves literally at the drop of a hat. Like, I I still... uh, We'll get phone calls from buddies. I have like a weird, if you look at my phone, like, wow, who are all these people from all over the, around the world? Like, that's odd that you know people in these places. And they will call me about like, hey, you want to fly here next week? We're flying there. There's this swell coming. You, are you, you down to go? And I've said no enough times now in the last few years just because of life circumstances that I don't get the call as much. But that was, is a really common thing. But so growing up from young, that's kind of the framework of what surfing is. Like people will drop everything going on in their life to fly halfway around the world at the drop of a hat for a six-hour window that they want to be there when there's a swell and these waves are going to arrive at this pinpoint on the dot, you know. So with that in mind, I'm, I'm growing up, I'm getting into it more and more with things, and I leveraged my life, my time, talent, and treasures around that, um, even subconsciously. Uh, you know, I started doing concrete work in junior high as a summer job with things, but then as I'm in high school, I start to figure out, well, this is a pretty good gig for being able to get waves because I work a whole bunch in the summer, make money, and then in the winter in Oregon, the weather, we have off time, and in the winter, the waves are big. Wow, this works out great. I have time to go and surf. So like a career path even chosen over this hobby, over this thing, and leveraging that, uh, leveraged where I lived. Uh, Kathleen and I have moved places uh, because of the surf. Uh, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. Well, it's not weird in the surfing community, but it's weird 
it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that. That idea of, of leveraging everything for it and it being this focal point, and especially when I was younger, um, it was. And it, but then it's amazing in hindsight to look back and see God's uh, ability in spite of me, his plan in spite of my plans, and how he has used that and changed me and shaped me to leverage those things for his kingdom and to use those things when I would finally, after years, have my eyes open and see the opportunity, have my eyes open and let him do that rather than just doing my own thing and like head down going forward. But seeing that leveraged. Um, so, you know, for years and years, it was all about getting surf, getting waves, going wherever to do that. And then gradually him changing that and using that. And we had opportunities, like all of those relationships all over the world that I was talking about. We had opportunity uh, several years ago. We were on a trip. We were uh, on the North Shore of Oahu, which is a kind of a focal point for surfing, for those that don't know. And uh, I would go there several times a year during the winter. We were there late in the season one year. And... Um, Uncle Butch, this, uh, a friend of ours that's there that I've stayed with when I go there, he's a pastor there at one of the Calvary Chapel churches, and one year we were there, and Butch is like, hey, man, we're planting this church here on the North Shore. And so we're there, and I, late in the winter, and Kathleen, he just plants that bug in our ear, and we go home, and then a couple months later, we sold everything and moved there to help them with that church plant with things. So that opportunity of leveraging that our time, treasure, and our talents, um, I eventually got on board with what God was doing, and he was doing it the whole time from when I was in junior high. I just didn't see it, and it, I'm a slow learner, but then eventually in life, him using that gift to further his kingdom and to do things with it, um, and I was just blessed to be a part of that and blessed to realize what he's doing and for my eyes to come open and like actually see what he's been doing all along in leveraging things, and I just wasn't aware of it. But it's just an example that kind of fit in with things of, uh, in two parts, that your time, treasure, and your talents, it was both of those. It was my time, my treasure, it costs a lot of money to travel, and my talents with things, a natural talent that I had. Uh, and then secondly, in that passage we were reading where it's talking about having two masters, um, I only had one master. I just had the wrong master for a lot of years when I was younger with things. And so God eventually bringing that around and being patient with me and gracious with me and getting those things in line. And it's awesome to look back and see that, um, to see how, what he's done and how he's used that in my life uh, and changed other people's lives. So it's a pretty cool thing. So, yeah. Thanks, Brian. You grab your mask if you want. Cool. Appreciate you coming and sharing that story with us. Uh, and, and to look back, you know, to go, man, I have such clarity now on things from my past and how I lived. And let me tell you, I've heard a lot of your stories. And I've sat, sat and talked with you over a cup of coffee uh, many times. And this is what I can say about you all. You're shrewd. You are. And you're shrewd in the ways that you go about a number of things. You're shrewd about camping, 
about RVing, about traveling the world, about leveraging your finances and your vacation time and this and that and family engagement so that you can travel and that you can be in your RVs. You're shrewd about hunting. I tell, oh man, look at this new rifle I got. And look at, you know, and I spent, yeah, we wake up at four o'clock in the morning just to be able to head out. Actually, that's probably a little late, isn't it? You know, we're already out there at four in the morning getting our spot, and I spend my off time. I get off work, and I go grab a bite to eat, and I head out to scout out spots that I'm going to be. You're shrewd about fishing. You know exactly when the salmon are running and how the storms are affecting things, how much rain is in the river coming out. You know, you know these things, what the conditions are at the bar at any given moment that you can hop on a boat that, by the way, you spent thousands of dollars. Look at this new upgrade here, my new GPS unit. You're shrewd about kids' sports. Do you know how much life has to be maneuvered and manipulated around being involved with kids' sports these days? Man, I'm thankful my kids are in college. You know, year after year, and Brooklyn's like, I'm going to play basketball again. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to play volleyball? I love volleyball. But basketball and hours of traveling and thousands of dollars spent to stay at hotels and get in club sports and get them all the right shoes and accessories. And because my kid's going to get a D1 scholarship, guess what? They probably ain't. Could have put those thousands and thousands of dollars to different uses. And here's the thing is I know I've lost some of you, but I want you to re-engage because what I'm not saying is I'm not saying you shouldn't go RVing. I'm not saying you shouldn't go fishing. I'm not saying you shouldn't have your kids in sports. I'm not saying that. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. You should, but you should be shrewd for the kingdom within it. Fishing? Come on. You got somebody out on a boat for eight or ten hours and their life is in your hands? What better place to talk about kingdom things than there? <laughs> when you go RVing, when you go camping, make sure you're inviting your neighbor or your coworker so that when you're sitting around the fire making s'mores, uh, that you have an opportunity to hear about their life that you're building relationships for eternal things that when you're hunting and you are up at four o'clock in the morning and you are out in God's wilderness on a Sunday morning, that's all right, we're online now. You can just watch it later. Well, you should be here most of the time. And you're packing out an animal and you have this win that you can be investing in other people's lives. I'm not saying don't be involved in those things. As some of you maybe checked out when I started going down that path, I'm saying be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, using your temporal things that have been entrusted to you as a steward for eternal matters and thinking. What are your passions? Because God wants you to use your passions, the things that you love in this world, to build eternal things. Think about what you're passionate about and are you intentionally, do you have a plan on how you will leverage those things for God? He continues on, and he's speaking to a bigger crowd than just his disciples, as we hear here. Verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard these things. And they ridiculed him, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You're the ones 
who are shrewd and you're justifying it, your actions. You're supposed to be holy, but you're not. And he goes on, God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and the one who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. This section, it's like still, what? What, what are you talking, where did that come from? First, he, he nails the Pharisees to the wall right? You guys are shrewd. You use your religious positions to put yourself in places of power and of influence and of riches. God knows your heart. Know this now. God knows your heart. I think of Psalm 139. Which is a psalm of David says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Oh, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You know. And some of us have been shrewd in the way that we make excuses for the way that we use our time and our money the talents that God's given us, really for our glory, but it kind of looks like it's for God. You know, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm out in the woods and I'm praying. Nah, all right, I maybe you are. I'm not saying you're not, but God knows your heart. No, no, when I go camping, I am on point and I am building relationships with the people. Next. Are you? Are you just out doing your thing and laying back and relaxing? It's not horrible. But just don't say the other. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of. They were saying they were doing one thing, and Jesus is just like, God knows your heart, and I just see that like a spotlight right on him. God knows your heart. And then he says this thing about divorce. Like in the middle of, uh, what, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Where did that come from? And I was thinking about it a little bit more, and this weird verse of divorce is really about marriage. And marriage is a picture of stewardship. You see, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of what eternity is going to be like. The cost on self, of self-sacrifice to serve somebody else is a picture, and it's an intimate closeness so that we can have some glimpse into the heart of Jesus and into the heart of eternity. And what he's saying here is this. This covenant relationship, which is a picture of the church, and again of eternity, makes sense when you think of it in the form of stewardship. You see, you've been entrusted with a relationship that points to the eternal. And in every instance of divorce, at the heart is one or both parties focused on their own desires and not on the desires of their creator. And so when it comes to stewardship, it's a perfect picture of not being kingdom-minded. See, our priorities are not his priorities. Let's go back to the thought of David. David wrote Psalm 139 that we just read. But speaking of, of David, God said this. It said, uh, actually, the Lord said to Samuel, 
See, he was picking out the one who would be the king. God had led him to this home, and they went son by son by son by son, the most impressive, uh, looking to the very last one. And, and Samuel says, do not, God says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then they got to David, and he said, that will be the king. He's a man after my own heart. He knew a lot about this. That's what it was said of David. And even though David was a man after God's own heart, that doesn't mean that his heart was aligned to God's. And he messed up all the time. This guy was shrewd. He leveraged his position. He leveraged his position to not go off to war in the time when kings go off to war. He leveraged his worldly position to be out on the rooftops, taking in his kingdom and his land and seeing what he reigned over. And, oh, I reign over that too, Bathsheba. And he called her into his home and slept with her and got her pregnant. And he was shrewd. He invited the husband home from war and tried to trick him. And when he couldn't trick him, he had him murdered and sent back to the front lines. And this is a guy after God's own heart. And I look at that sometimes like, what? Man, well, if David was all right, then maybe I'm going to be okay too. <laughs> right? And, and so we see a number of Psalms. Uh, that are David after all these things have taken place in Psalm 86. We're going to read from today. There's a number of others, Psalm 32, 51, and 122, that are David pouring out his heart when he understood, again, in retrospect, what he had done in not being aligned with God's heart. And in verse, uh, chapter 86, it says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry out all the day. He understood what he had done wrong, how he had fallen short, how he was leveraging his position, was shrewd in the world for worldly things, and he is contrite and he is confessing to God. And then he continues in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. I love that second part. He says, unite my heart to fear your name to understand you better, to have my life in context for, with who you are and make my heart united with yours. You see, we talked about this last week. In Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one, a glimpse into his heart, and he said that he is more thankful and the heavens rejoice when one person reunites their hearts, reorients their hearts from their own way of living and turns towards God's kingdom and what his desires are. And the heavens rejoice when our hearts are correctly oriented. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's about the orientation of your heart. 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's about orienting their lives. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And we have to have our hearts oriented properly to the heart of God like David who had done many things in his life and had leveraged much of his time and his treasures and his talents for his own gain. And yet when understanding who God was, he reoriented all of his being towards God. Not that he didn't mess up, but he was called a man after God's own heart because at the core, he wanted what God wanted. So we're going to do that as well. Out when you walked in, you may have seen a curtain as you, as you came in, and it was covered up, and, and what is on it is, is this. Right there, it's a little bit bigger than that, but it's Florence. In the next couple of months, we are going to orient our hearts towards what God wants in this place and the part that we're supposed to play. And we're going to walk every street in Florence praying for our hearts and for this community. And what we're going to be able to do is in your neighborhood, especially right around your house, the blocks surrounding your house, I hope you'll walk that area two or three times because those are your neighbors. Those are the people whose names you should be getting to know if you don't know them already. Those are people whose needs you should be aware of so that you can come alongside or maybe your community group as a whole can come and walk with them in it. And then you're going to come back here and tell us what streets you walked, and we're going to add it to the map, and week by week, we're going to walk every street in this community. And these are going to be our prayers. God, orient our hearts. Orient my heart so that it is aligned with your heart. God, open my eyes that I would see this community, this neighborhood, this business, that I would see them the way that you see them. God, guide my feet and my actions, that they would back up what you're showing me in the way that you're orienting my heart. Orient my heart towards yours. Open my eyes to see what you see. Guide our steps as we try to follow you and being an influence of leveraging the things that you have entrusted to us for your kingdom because you placed us here in Florence, Oregon. And I can't do it, and you can't do this on your own, but together we can do this. And pray for this whole town, that, that we would, would uh, be out there as, as those seeking the, the lost, those that, that don't even understand this home that they really are created for, that we would see our role in, in digging into their lives. And it'll probably get messy, and it'll probably get expensive, and it's probably going to cost you some time, unless you just go camping or hunting, I suppose. But we, as Florence Christian Church, want to orient our hearts in this way. We want to steward well the valuation of our time and our treasures, our talents. We want to be shrewd in kingdom thinking, in kingdom priorities, understanding that we have kingdom power behind us to enable us to walk into what he has for us. And we're going to do this through prayer. And I just want us to be reminded that prayer isn't about talking to God and changing his mind to act in our lives. Prayer is about orienting our hearts to what God is already doing so that he can use our lives to accomplish those things. And that's what we're going to be doing together. So as you walk out, take a look at the map and, and, and come up with a plan. 
What places are you going to focus on? And it'll take some people getting out of their neighborhoods and going to different parts of the town uh, just to take your dog or, or to walk with a friend or, or to walk with a neighbor. You can pray and maybe they don't even have to know it. I don't know. But together we will be orienting our hearts toward God and what he has for us. But the band's gonna come up and we're gonna worship and we're gonna sing together as we continue this time of, of pointing our hearts back to him because he pointed his heart to us. And in heaven, they were up there and they're talking and knowing that they were separated and not in a close relationship with us because of our choices and our actions, Jesus came to the earth. And he came here so that he could go to the cross and the cross was all about Jesus orienting his heart towards you. And so we have communion, which is a cracker representing his body broken cup representing his blood that was spilled for us because he loved you so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to be in a relationship with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness to us when we don't deserve it. Your power over us, God, in that same power that you want to use through us. We just ask you'd humble us today in light of this moment of communion where we all come equal, equally broken, equally unworthy, and yet on equal footing that you opened up uh, the heavens for every person. God, that through the work of your son on the cross that we could be united with you, united through your spirit. God, help us as we walk out of this place and we walk into our neighborhoods that you would just do just that of, of opening our eyes to see the world the way you see it of pointing our hearts towards the things that your heart is pointed to. God, help us to be guided and empowered by you as you have us walk into uh, people's lives. God, you are so good. We worship you alone. Amen.